This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hi, this is Lou Roberts. This is Tyrese Campbell. And you're listening to the Every Step Along The Way podcast. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Every Step Along the Way podcast. Uh, so season's kind of almost there. We, we, we can always taste it a little bit. Um, and uh, this particular part, we've obviously done a lot of the championship reviews as, as, a, as a division. But this one is all about, obviously, the one thing we all care about. And of course, that's Stoke City. So uh, a bit of a, uh, a season preview. Uh, we'll look at a number of different topics. And, you know, we are, we're actually joined by, well, there's going to be four of us on the pod today. And um, I guess we'll start with the staples, you know, the, the board boring bits tom welcome back to the pod you're starting to become a, a bit of a regular on this now mate thank you very much yeah uh nice to be back again always welcome perfect mate um and dan as always as i said you're, you're definitely one of the most boring parts of this podcast so uh dan welcome welcome back mate i'll try to bore you all with statistics as much as ever this campaign <laughs> We 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 rely on you. Uh, you're really good at that. You missed the stato, and that has gone for what three seasons now. So um, you'll you'll never lose it. And like I said, that, that's the boring people out the way. Um, now. We've got a, a very special guest. Now, you might have heard this voice on one of our preview pods uh, recently, um, but it's a, it's a man that many of you would have seen on various podcasts and media channels. I like to think of him as Mr. EFL, um, obviously to Mr. Gabriel Sutton. Gabs, how are you, mate? You OK? I'm really well, thanks, Michael. Thanks for the welcome. Look forward to uh, making my debut on the Every Stop Along the Way podcast. Well, it's very good to have you. How's your week been? I mean, I imagine for you, I mean, we, we obviously get a lot of media requests and stuff like that for Stoke audios and videos and stuff, but you must get absolutely bombarded at this time of year. Um, yeah, a little bit. I, I like to go on a, a lot of different podcasts. It's nice to sort of, uh, I quite enjoy just chatting to fans of different clubs. It's part of part of the work that I do that I, I really look forward to. So um, yeah, glad to glad to be on this one. But yeah, buzzing for buzzing for the new season, as I'm sure you lot are as well. Yeah, well, we'll, we'll probably get into it. But there's been a, a contrasting, I think, feeling around the club from last season to this. So uh, you'll you'll definitely feel that I think as, as this goes on. But yeah, um, yeah so I mean, <laughs> Let's just start a little bit. We're going to kind of a bit of a review of kind of last season in very simple terms. But before we kind of get into all that, um, 
what started out as an extremely quiet window for Stoke, I think we'd all probably say that quiet in in a number of areas um, as well. <laughs> Crisis, you know, it's gone completely off the rails all of a sudden. We've gone from nothing to like signing ten players within two weeks. So um, as I said, it's kicked off big time. And, and and Gabs, I want to kind of come to you first on this actually. Sure. I mean, obviously as a non-Stoke fan, um, and while we're getting to the nitty gritty, I think. It's very easy to us become blinkered and, you know, the old red and white tinted rose glasses always come into play. You hear that phrase a thousand times. But as someone who doesn't particularly support Stoke, what have you made of all the kind of, you know, let's say last season for Stoke? I mean, obviously, we finished 17th. Mm-hmm. It was it was not great. Let's just put it that way. So but yeah. what's the external view of, of Stoke as a, as a club right now, would you say? And from from the outside, uh, it looks like every inch like a, a rebuilding uh, period for Stoke City because I think it feels like since you've come down from the championship, you had that period of uh, sort of overspending, if you like, um, for the first couple of years and um, didn't go to plan under Gary Rowett and Nathan Jones for different reasons. And then it felt like Michael O'Neill steadied the ship a little bit for, for a year or two, but still there was no real sort of playing identity to kind of build towards. And I think from an outside perspective, that's kind of what I'm hoping to see from Stoke City under under Alex Neal. Um, have we seen that yet? I'm not 100% sure. Um, so I think this is a big season. Um, uh, but the last couple of years, it's felt, felt like it's been a case of trying to offload players a little bit more than bringing players in. But obviously, in the last week or so, that's changed, and uh, and you've been well, you've been able to have the um, the overhaul that you've probably needed for uh, for for quite a while now. It, it seems from the outside. You, you know, you spot on. It's it's exactly that. I mean, it it seems to have been obviously Gary Rowett spent. I think it was sixty or sixty five million in that first season when we came down. And you know, while obviously we kind of hoped to just bounce back up, clearly it did not happen. Not even remotely close. And then since then, we've had you know one arm time behind our backs, and very quickly one arm became two. And then anyone coming in has had nothing to work with. Um, and, and you know, I, I guess. What I want to try and see is a bit of a contrast and change, not just on the pitch, but I think it's off the pitch as well. The club's kind of stalled, really, in the last four or five years. Uh, we've had a few, let's say, hairy moments, you know, during the season where you think, oh, Christ, are we really going to get dragged into this relegation battle? Um, and me and Dan were looking at some teams earlier, Gabs, and the, uh, the team that we saw was pretty shambolic, and I'm sure Dan will bring that up in a minute. But, um, yeah, it's just good to get that external view, I guess, as a club. But Dan, I just want to bring you in um, be kind of before we start looking at the future and, and what we want this season to be. What did you kind of make of, of, of last season? I think it was a season to forget um, and, and we obviously don't want to depress people too many. But was there any particular moments that kind of stick in your mind from last year that maybe you'll want to erase after this conversation? Well, I think if I'm going to summarise, just to sort of remind people about the feeling that we were having, you know, during and at the end of last season, you think like, yeah, we changed managers because, you know, after giving Michael O'Neill the, the the time and then the funds to bring in, I say the funds, I think he had very, very limited funds last summer, hence why we had a load of, um, you know, youth players on loan from, from various clubs that... You know, he was trying to just mould the best he could. Um, obviously, they, they Michael O'Neill, the fans, and that quickly lost patience with him. The board followed suit, uh, probably because they didn't want the fans turning to vitriolic, as we'd seen towards, say, Gary Rowett in, in the recent past. 
Um, you know how quickly the fans turned there. So uh, you know, Neil left. Neil came in. We've poached him from uh, you know a club who arguably could they say they are bigger than Stoke City, you know, bigger fan base anyway, and all that. Um, he's coming. He's obviously built into the project, and he didn't really set the place on fire, did he? Straight up, let's be honest. A lot of Stoke fans still need to be won over by him, especially on the field. Um, January, he managed to do a bit of wheel and deal and get his own players in. And March, that's when we saw the best of what Alex Neal has to offer, I think, didn't we? You know, we had the Coventry away with your 4-0 there, 5-1 away at Sunderland. Um, we got a, a point at Middlesbrough, arguably should have won that game. Um, but I think it was the, those, again, well, the, then three games, what they all got in common, they're all away from home. At home, I think we had something stupid like was it thirteen one nil defeats at home last season. There was one yeah. definite there was one definite Achilles heel on that side, wasn't there, last year. If the if the opposition sat in deep and didn't give you space to get in behind and they couldn't use the pace of say Campbell, uh, the way creator Brown because they they, you know, they were solid in defence, what they were coming up against, they really didn't have a clue and they would just literally just pass the ball around wondering, well, what do I do? <laughs> I can't do anything, I'll give it to you. And he'll go, eh, no, I can't do anything right, I'll pass it on to the next bloke. And now you have it back because I don't know what I'm doing. And it's, that literally was how, how 90 minutes played out at home pretty much every week. <laughs> Unless yeah, we it, got an early goal, which was, wasn't very often, unfortunately. No, it wasn't. And I, and I guess one thing, I'll come back to you a second, Dan, but one thing I wanted to ask you, Tom. Um, so... We've talked about Fortress Britannia in years gone by, and Gabs, you would have heard that comment, no doubt. Mm, um, and Fortress Britannia in recent years has become Morgue Britannia. I've said it a number of times. <laughs> like, is right. is 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 an is a. I guess it's a spectacle. It's not much to, to actually shout about, but like the 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 bums on seats have kind of deteriorated. And um, as much as we want to say, yeah, the players need to do it, and of course they do. Um, us fans have got a part to play in that, haven't we? Yeah, hundred percent. I think the reason we were successful the first time around under Tony Pugh is a lot of it was down to the fans. Um, obviously, everybody knows about the fans when we were in the Premier League in the early years. Um, I think we were deemed the loudest in the league at one point. Um, I think, I think we have got good fans. I think there's a lot of negativity at the minute, and I think that is going through onto Alex Neil at the minute too. I think we're just so used to seeing targets not hit and failure over the recent years that when something seems to be going good it's kind of I, I don't believe it because it goes wrong every time um, but I think this pre-season um, I think when you're on the outside looking in it, you know it seems like it's a rebuild and stuff but I think when you when you are a Stoke fan and you know what we've gone through for the last five years and you're seeing the stuff happening right now I think that's why it's so exciting and we may be getting a bit ahead of ourselves but you know <laughs> after five years of doom and gloom I think we owe it to ourselves to have a bit of excitement and you know a bit of optimism yeah we, we do and, and and I guess one thing Dan mentioned earlier Gabs was the, you know the obviously mm-hmm. Michael O'Neill the, the one thing I'd say at the end of the the previous season was it was one of two things you either back Michael O'Neill um in the transfer market and then you give him time or you sack him in the summer and bring somebody in. We kind of let Michael O'Neill sign what I think of it was like eight players, I think, um, and then signed him, uh, sorry, sacked him uh, kind of, I think, early to mid-August, I think it was. Uh, I think it was pretty quick. Um, so obviously it leaves like Alex Neil 
it's practically it was about a week or two weeks to get people in. Um, do you think it was a bit of a strange kind of time to sack Michael O'Neill? Do you think we may have acted a bit too soon? Because I think everybody was of the same thought process of you should have sacked him in the summer if you were going to do this. Now you've let him sign eight players and a manager might not want them. Um, possibly, but I, um, I I don't think that um, Michael O'Neill could argue that the results were going in the right direction, certainly from a sort of surface level perspective. I don't know how you'd, uh, you might feel as uh, supporters, but I, I, I want to actually come back to what Dan was mentioning there about hmm. this um, sort of uh, contrast of Soap City uh, playing a few of those games away from home being really aggressive and super efficient in transitions. And it did um, remind me a lot of um, uh, Alex Neal's Preston sides probably early on in his reign where um, the first couple of seasons there, they had such an exciting sort of live wire, full of energy, dynamic, tenacious um, group of players. Um, And they were really good sort of, they could tear teams apart in sort of 15 minute bursts when sort of those gaps were were there. Um, But like, like Dan has said about Stoke City now, possibly at home games and against teams that have got those gaps between units, um, it's um, you, you find that more difficult. And I understand that that's probably something that you want to get better at this season. But I also think that the state Stoke City are in at the moment because you've not had a, a sort of defined style of play for a number of years now, I would say. I think it's really important that you try and consolidate on that identity, that primary identity that Alex Neal has built. And maybe the following season, then you try and recruit to try and uh, fine tune some of the details in some of the other games. But I think that it will be quite dangerous to try and go too far in terms of um, fixing the the problems that you've encountered if that actually compromises the sort of plan A that you want to try and get good at. Because I think the most successful teams in the championship, first and foremost, are really good at their plan A. Yeah, and I think, Dan, you probably agree, wouldn't you, from what you know, Gabriel's saying there, I mean, about, you know, the, the pressure and the style of play, etc. I mean, while early days, it was something we didn't really see from Michael O'Neill. I mean, we have seen what Alex Neil has wanted to do. He just hasn't had the players to do it, has he? Yeah, I think in his very first interview, when he walked through the door, he said, and he goes, I've got no wingers. <laughs> Literally, he came out and said, I've got, I, I like to play with width. I like to play with pace on the wings. I do not have a single winger in this club because obviously the way Michael O'Neill wanted to play was he wanted to play with wing backs and so therefore he had two defensive wing backs that he was his players and no actual wingers because he didn't need them and obviously he was working on a shoestring budget he was you know hampered massively by FFP so he couldn't have players really there to change formations and style he had to pick what he wanted and go with it or you know he put all his eggs in one basket because he couldn't afford to to have the variety that maybe we are seeing this summer um so yeah so neil really was hampered from the start in that he had to adapt to play more michael o'neill's way and the five at the back which you know anyone who's watched anything through pre-season can say that that we are far and away from playing five at the back this year well we hasn't we haven't played a single minute in pre-season everything um, is four three three, and it's interesting mm-hmm. that the, right through the club, all the academy sides, the under twenty one sides, a lot they're all playing four three three. Right, that's really interesting actually that you've got um, an alignment right the way through the club that's quite an encouraging thing I wouldn't have from the outside associated that sort of alignment with Stoke City to be honest with you that's really interesting. Yeah, so it, it's only something really that he's majorly put in place sort of over the last few months. Um, 
Well, you had, well, I think when he first come in, I think the, the younger groups took it on straight away because he literally was saying, you know, this is how I'm going to play in the future. So if these kids are going to be coming through into my team, they need to learn how to play this way. Um, if they can't play in this formation, there's no, there's no use to me kind of thing. So they sort of took it on. I think that the the older age groups, like the 21s and that, probably take it on more this season because last year they had to sort of, you know, obviously he was having to stick with the five at the back. So if you need to bring anybody up, I think they were sort of mirroring more what the first team were doing. Uh, mm. But yeah, he's, they've gone right the way through. I mean, there's been such an overhaul, Gab, of, of staff and that over the summer. It's been unbelievable. Yeah. Well, well, like, well, I mean, I, I kind of wanted to sort of uh, throw a question to the panel, if you don't mind, because um, what I think where Alex Neal kind of comes into his own a little bit is that he works for the club in Preston North End, where they didn't have a particularly developed recruitment strategy, and the manager was asked uh, was asked to run a club and not just manage the team. And I feel like in this situation where the Stoke City are in such a state of flux, I was speaking to um, Ben Rowley uh, on my own podcast, and he was saying that literally every area you could think of apart from the dugout there's massive change at Stoke City so does it actually become an advantage having a manager already in place that's willing to keep a bit of a lid on other facets of the football club and be able to think in that sort of big picture way see I I, I do think so to be honest guys because I think one thing that I think we've done as a club over the summer and and, and Alex has has done he's probably ruffled a lot of feathers by doing it but we have gutted this club top to bottom Alex Neal clearly has recognised what coaches, what recruitment style or whatever he wants in there has gone. We've got rid of people who have been here for 10, 15 years, um, players who have been through the Premier League with us as well in that kind of, you know, that that, that bad five or six years we had. Um, and you know, he, he's kind of got rid of everyone. We've got a head of recruitment and, and obviously uh, Jared, who came in from Reading, which has been a breath of fresh air, I'm going to tell you. Um, oh, really? But yeah, absolutely, mate. Like we we've we went we've gone from a club who were signing British, Irish, Scottish. Um, you know, that that that's how it was, um, to never signing any foreign players that you've probably you know, you've heard of everyone. You know, they've all they've all played in the championship for either two years, five years, ten years, and there's no flair, it's just the good old robust English player or whatever it is. Now he's come in and within two weeks we're we're signing a Brazilian and two Portuguese players. Um, mm-hmm. And you know we're scouting from abroad. You know there's it, it's it's been a complete and utter contrast to what we're used to. So that is something that you know clearly Stoke as a club, the ownership have seen right. This recruitment model clearly has not worked in the last five years. So okay, Alex, what do you need? So he goes out and he finds you know the club go and get the Jared anyway, and he's come in, he's made some changes, um, and then obviously Alex has got his own coaches in the Rory Delaps of this world. As much as we love Rory Delap, you know he's gone. A number of the other coaches have gone. I think the goalkeeper coach, Andy Kai, I think, has gone. Um, I mean, Dan's probably got a, whole, a long list um, to hand. But genuinely, mate, we gutted this club. So when you talk about a manager taking control um, and structuring, and that's why when we're speaking a bit about your prediction on Bet Victor, um, <laughs> that's wow. why I'm going to hold you to account for that. Because, yeah, go for it. <laughs> uh, but we'll get into it. Uh, but, yeah, like I say, it's it's just... It's a different club than I think the one you saw last year. And I don't think the overhaul, while I can understand your thought process, is necessarily a bad thing. So that is a long-winded way of answering your question, but 
Sure. It, it's it's a it's a loaded question, so it's it there's a lot to go through. <laughs> Sure. Um, yeah, I think um, I think the first thing to say is that um, from an editorial point of view, um, we like to give the piece um, a lot of airtime. So uh, we did it. Um, I think it was the Monday before the Monday, not the top twenty release. There, uh, one to twenty-fours, with a little bit more uh, benefit of knowledge, because in the week after I uh, I sort of uploaded my prediction, Stoke City seemed to be making about eight signings, and all of them uh, seemed incredibly exciting. With with really good reviews and um like you mentioned that the sort of jared dublin influence clearly clearly has an effect and you know if you're asking me to make my one to 24 prediction um right here not right now would i say 19th i'm not sure i um I would. I mean, I certainly wouldn't if I was meeting Stoke City fans in person, maybe over, over teams. It's a bit different. I bet um, you wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be like, if I was meeting you in person, I'd be like, yeah, you're going to be great, mate. Don't worry about it. Um, but I think, um, yeah, I think there is this uh, part of me, sort of as well as what I've just said there, where I'm a little bit sceptical of this shiny new signings and thinking, you know, you bring um, eight, nine players straight into the first team squad and thinking it's all going to click from the off. I I totally agree with you, by the way. I can see how that um, sort of complete overhaul can have a really cleansing effect on the club and it brings a fresh sort of vitality and mentality into the club. So completely appreciate that. But I just wonder, there's part of me, whether there's clubs that or teams that just have established a little bit more of a synergy about them. Uh, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe, you know, it does all click straight away. But considering that a lot of the business has come quite late in the window, I'm just urging a little bit of caution there. Yeah, no, I, I get it. And I mean, Dan, was there anything else? I'm conscious I don't want to go too far into the future at this point, but was there anything else that stood out for you from last season? Is there anything you want to follow up with Gab there from what he said? I was just going to say, obviously, let's continue obviously, the conversation you just had in then. Um, I think Alex Neal summed it up with the end of last season because yeah, we, we all know he's, he's not one to mince his words, is he? If he's got something to say, he just says it, which is obviously a wonderful thing because you, mm. you'll always know where you stand with him. Yeah. And he uh, he literally came out at the end of last season and said, this club stinks of apathy. It's had five or six years of, of regression and it needs to be basically gutted out and we need to start again and I just you know, some of the people have left I mean John O'Shea he's left from first team coach he's gone away with Ireland uh, Richard Walker was the under 18s head coach he's left to Wolves uh, Tommy Coakley was the chief scout he's gone to Bournemouth uh, Roy Delap he was first team coach he's gone Maccabi Tel Aviv uh, the head of football operations Andy Cousins has left he's gone to Chelsea as head of recruitment and there's many, many other people who've left, but it's like they haven't gone to bad jobs. They've gone to big clubs. I think I'm not sure that they are. I'm not sure he was saying you aren't talented enough to be at this club. I think he just said we need fresh faces because people who people were settled in their roles or they've been down. Can I ask you a question there, Dan? Do you yeah. think that the Coates family are responsible for what Alex Neil described there? Ooh. <laughs> yeah. I, I'll, I'll let you answer that, Dan. I'll let you answer that first. <laughs> um, it's I, I don't know because to be fair, I think they, they've, the only thing they could possibly be guilty of is giving too much. Do you know what I mean like they they give they give all the power to the manager as has been you know the the manager mould everything. Um, mm. They've give you know, they've got an open checkbook as far as they possibly can under their FFP restrictions of whatever there is. You know they they will never say no to anything. You know they 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 
uh, if, if it wasn't for FFP and that, you know, the owners, they'd be like, yeah, just spend what you want to, do whatever you need. And and you couldn't fault them, you know. The, but I think what they've had to realise in the past 12, 18 months is it's not just about just throwing money at it. Money doesn't mm. just solve the issues. There needs to be a structure in place behind. And I think we've got that now. We've changed. Um, Tony Scholes was here for such a long time. and he well, you, weren't, you weren't happy with him, were you? No, no. He ran a very... He was he was an accountant by trade who just so ended up to be a chief executive of a football club, and I think he you know kept it. Don't get me wrong, I think without him, I think our FFP situation may have been we we may be looking at points deductions. I think he managed to get us out of that hole, but at the same time, I think he maybe stopped the club progressing in certain ways as well when he was there, and I think we we are now looking a more expansive and a more open club, um, more united with supporters again since he's left. I think the club are looking to get that bond back with uh, with the fans and that. And then there's been things even this week, I mean, some people have criticised mm. them or you know, said for things. Was like, I don't know if you saw it, Gab, but the, the manager, the... Um, the manager and the head of recruitment and the chief exec were all seen um, basically when in a local pub. They just walked into a local pub and sat down and had a pint with some people. And people, oh, that's a bit of a photo opportunity. And so it's cl- mm. club sense I'm like, well, they don't have to do it though, did they? <laughs> sure. I, I mean, exactly. I, they, could yeah. stayed at the, they could have stayed at home, couldn't they, Gab? Then they don't need to do that type of thing. Yeah, for sure. Um, I, I kind of want to come uh, to um, the Coates because I can understand there's a, a, so much love for Peter Coates because he's devoted his life to this football club and the amount of money he's uh, he's put in, uh, you know, unquestionable. I, I suppose considering that Peter Coates is now 85 and there's part of me that's kind of questioning the fact that it's his son. Um, is it Martin? I think it is. Um, it's who's- John Coates. John Coates, my apologies, um, who's kind of taken on the role, sort of, or kind of inherited it. And I I sort of feel like, is that um, uh, necessarily the best way? Because uh, sometimes, you know, you associate with sort of doing the thing that your dad did. Is that necessarily sort of finding your own path sort of organically as opposed to just kind of a natural, um, you know, oh, that's what my dad did, so I'll kind of take charge of that. So there's part of me that's kind of curious about that dynamic of things and whether uh, John is necessarily someone who absolutely wants to uh, to run Stoke City or I don't I mean, know. What, I mean, it's, go on. What I can say for you, Gab, I've sat around a table with, with John Coates on yeah. seven or eight occasions. Um, right. And I good chats with him and talked about various different things. And I can absolutely guarantee you he yeah. loves this club. Um, right. His his dad's brought him through, you know, as young and over, over his, over his time. And John Coates isn't a young bloke, but you know, Peter Coates is the one that's got him into Stoke city and he's a Stoke city fan, John, John. And I mean, did he, Claims to be a Stoke City fan. I don't know. I don't really speak to Denise. She doesn't get involved in that side of things. She's one of the directors, but she doesn't get involved um, right. publicly or anything like that. But I've sat down with him, mate. It genuinely, he, you can tell he really cares for the club. Now, yeah. you can say that has he made mistakes? And I think John had put his hands up and say he's made mistakes. I think mm. um, you know he seems quite humble in that in that respect. But I think he's been brought through by Peter. He knows 
what the fans want. I think he's a fan himself, which I think we're quite fortunate because I think other owners who weren't fans might have ditched us by now. Um, sure. So that's the potential there. But yeah, I, I think it has, it has been a natural thing for John to take over. And Peter, if I'm honest with you, Gav, hasn't, he hasn't been in the equation. So you can imagine yeah. that Peter which, might which be advising him. Just me, so that's kind yeah. of the course. He might not even be, I'm, I'm, again, I, we, we don't hear from Peter anymore. So maybe he's not even in a fit state to, to do how get have any involvement anymore, but the the knowledge is probably built on John over the years has probably given us a fighting chance of of him being the future of this club until he's in his seventy or eighties. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. I suppose I'm kind of looking at it so much from an outside point of view. So really, look, sure. really helpful to hear from from sort of more of an insider. No, absolutely, because it's it's, in, like I say, it's interesting. That's why we've got you on here. Because again, you you can ask questions that we don't even think of. But um, mm. I think to probably summarise this last period of time, the the, the mood's been really low. Um, you know, we've we've ended up losing a load of players, and if we kind of move on. Almost. Um, if you think about the levers that we had as a club, so <laughs> there was a lot of people who were out of contract. Uh, there was people that were just simply um, were not up to it. Now I'm going to throw some some names out there, and I'd be keen to hear from any of you just to kind of think: Did we make a mistake in any of them? Now I'm going to put this straight out here and say that I don't regret a single one of these people leaving. But um, but levers. So Nick Powell, Morgan Fox, Dehaney. Tom Edwards, Sam Klukas, Tashnel Kabooth, Aidan Flint, Phil Jagielka, and Burson Salina. So those are the ones that I think I don't I may have missed a couple, no, no, maybe, I, I would, but I, from an outside perspective, I wouldn't say you'd regret any of those. Because Nick Powell was always going to be the controversial one. I think everyone would probably agree here. You know, on his day, Nick how Powell many, how many chances has Nick Powell had? Though we keep too many. It feels, it feels like we we keep talk. We kept talking up Nick Powell and saying there must be a player in there, but I don't think he delivered enough uh, personally. No, so, absolutely not. And Dan would disagree. <laughs> he was never fit. That was the problem. He was. But then I think what changed it for me was. Before before the last, say, six months of last season, during his time at Stoke, he would be in the team for a bit, and then he'd get injured, he'd have two or three months out, he'd come back. And every time he came back, within a, within a game or two games, he was back looking threatening, he was influencing games, taking games by the scruff of the neck, looking really good. Then he'd play however many games, get injured again. I think he had one season where he played like 40 games because... Um, he said he credited Nathan Jones with getting getting him in the gym for the first time in his life and getting him fit. And, and I think he, if he gets a preseason in, that usually that leads to him playing more during the season. Um, but what happened was he came back from injury last year, and he just there was just there didn't seem to be anything there. I'll be honest, I think he was playing up front rather than midfield. He didn't fit into Alex Neal's midfield. Neal wants a dynamic midfield. Mm, he, yeah. he, the, the, what he really praised Will Small. Will Smallbone was his attacking midfielder. Um, Josh Loren was his box to box, and Pearson with his sitter. Um, mm. But all three of them, what he praised them more than anything was the legs. He said, "I've yeah. never seen anyone who can run as much as Smallbone." Um, you know, that's how much he was. That's where his praise was directed and his fitness and how he got around the pitch. And I don't know if that was a, a bit of a dig at Powell or a bit of a, um, you know, this is what I expect of you, why, you know, this is what I need from you. 
without well, which isn't really i don't think that's necessarily how do you know i actually think nick powell going down to league two where he can be a big fish in a small pond and not have so much demanded of him because his quality level of quality is so much higher than the division um i think that's actually going to work in his favor but um yeah i i think that you've got to give alex neil the space to build a team in his image and i feel like letting nick powell go is a big and i'm actually i mean i'm not certain on this but i I would imagine he would have been on fair whack as well, possibly. Uh, yeah, I imagine he probably was. I think he was probably one of our top earners. Um, mm. Yeah, I think obviously he was, He, him and uh, believe it or not, I think Tom Edwards, who'd had a new contract in 2018, were probably the only ones really left from when we were, you know, splashing the cash and throwing it about a bit after we got relegated. Um, like I say, I mean, he's gone to Stockport now and he's got family with season ticket holders there. So he's got motivation in, in that in itself. I think that's why he's ended up there in particular. So, I mean, they've got no hard feelings against him. Best of luck to him if he stays fit and, you know, rips up League Two and whatever. But I think his time in the Championship, or at least, at least his time as Stoke, had, had, had you know, come to a head. And he, he, there was only one way he was going to go. For me, having watched him in them last seven or eight games that he played last season, there was, you know, he hadn't got what was required to be playing in this team. Yeah, I agree with you, and I think no one's going to wish Nick Powell any 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 harm at all. You know, I'm not going to go through all these players because I think it's it's not right. But when you think about where these players have gone, obviously Powell's gone to League Two. Um, I mean, Morgan Fox has managed to get himself a club at Championship, which is great. Um, but then when I look at some of the players that I mentioned, Sam Klukas without a club, 32 years old. Is it time for him to retire? Tasha Nokelbooth came through from Spurs as meant to be this big, you know, next big thing. Never ever found a way of breaking through. Didn't do well on loan. Aidan Flint, the last time I checked, I don't think he signed for a club. I could be wrong on that one, but I don't remember him signing for anyone. He's 33. He went and to Sheffield Wednesday last he, season. But, yeah. But I don't think he's gone anywhere this summer. No, I don't, I don't think he has. And again, he's probably at the end of his career as well. And then Phil Jagielka, great servant um, to football, not just Stoke. Um, again, the right time to move on. I think he's going to be 41 in a couple of months, if I remember his birthday right. So I don't regret, as I say, any of these. But what, what this has basically done to the club is that at the end of last season, left us with, what, I think eight, nine players contracted to the club at the most. So, mm. you know, obviously Alex has had a... A big rebuilding job, um, and I'll get into some more of the, the details around some structure in a minute, but I'm just going to run these names past you. And this is why I was saying to a uh, second-tier pod earlier, Gad, that um, I was calling them out a little bit because they were saying that I think it was Preston's uh, kind of transfers were better than Stokes uh, and one of the better ones. And I was like, hold on one second. Uh, if mm. I look at them, them Preston players, now I'm not, I'm no expert on the championship and you are happy to correct me on any of them if you know of them, but I don't think I'd take any of them over Stokes ones. And that maybe again is me not being impartial there, but you know, again, no, this I, is what... I, think, I think that's reasonable, Michael. I think, I think that's fair. Yeah, and so I think it's actually Plymouth transfers. Sorry, not. Um, but yeah, uh, but yeah. In terms of um, the the transfers, obviously we got uh, the, the Ryan. Now this guy's name has been pronounced about six different ways, by the way. Um, it's May, as far as I'm as far as I'm aware. So Ryan May. We got Andre Vidigal, obviously Daniel Johnson, Ender Stevens, Michael Rose, Wesley Morez, uh, Ben Pearson, uh, Keanu Hoover, which has been uh, politely named Henry. Uh, for obvious reasons, uh, Mark Travers and then uh, Chiquinho, aka Chico. Now, for me, yeah, Chico time, Chico time, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Well, we 
we've given you know Kiana, you know Henry, and we've got to give Chiquino Chico. We've got to give him some nicknames. Um, but I must say, for me, that is a good blend of attacking flair. You know, players who could be bruisers. You know, Ender Stevens will get his kick his players if he needs to. We all know about Ben Pearson. You know, Kiana's an attacking fullback. We've got Michael Rose, who's experienced it at centre-back. Yeah, he's not a big household name, but so what? Um, Mark Travers is one of the probably the, the best goalkeepers in this division on his day. So for me, I think we've got a real good blend, which, you know, when I think about what we've let go, and Dan did this the other day, what we've let go versus what we've brought in, we are pretty confident that we have improved in every single one of those placements without even being biased. I, I completely agree in terms of pound for pound. I think the one question I've got to have and love to hear from Dan or Tom on this would be whether um, you, uh, whether the players that have signed in like the last uh, eight days, 10 days of July can settle quickly. I feel like if they'd signed in June, it might be a slightly different proposition because you'd have a whole pre-season to get familiar with one another and build a team spirit and go on team bonding um, camps and all this, that and the other. I don't think you've really got that space this time um, in this case. So that's that's the slight sort of concern that I have. Uh, Tom? Yeah, I was just about to say, I think I think you're very right there. I think, uh, to be fair, I've seen some videos of Alex Neal when he was in the pub with the fans, and he said the guys who are coming from abroad, they haven't even got houses yet, they're living in hotels, the families yeah. are still at home. Um, I, I, I actually spoke to someone on Twitter about this earlier, so one thing I think they've done very, very, very cleverly is got players who know each other already. So Vidigal and Chiquinho played for each other at a club before. Chiquinho and Hoover have obviously both come from Wolves. Pearson and Johnson played for each other with each other at Preston. Um, oh, and then obviously we now have Rose and McNally is due to be announced, who played for each other with each other at Coventry last season. Oh, I haven't like that. That's a really good point, Tom. Yeah, and then uh, the last one was Pearson and Travers have obviously both come from Bournemouth. So I think they've been very, very clever in bringing someone in who's got a familiar face there to help them feel settled quicker. Oh, wow. That's really clever. Yeah, I like that. I think that was by design. I think as well, Tom, just to uh, round off the midfield, uh, we've also got Josh Onoma as well, haven't we? Uh, Yeah, obviously Onoma has just come from, well, is apparently going to sign from Preston after being on trial. So he's played with Johnson uh, Johnson as well, yeah. So I do think he's by design, I have to say. Um, I know the Preston fans have been winding us up about taking the team and stuff. um, But I think... Alex Neal is built in a base and he's he's gained players that he knows he can rely on. They might not be the best players in the league, but he knows they're reliable and he can build on top of that where he sees fit. I, 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 t- I totally agree with you, but you know what? Even as you were listing them out, I did not realise there was that many connections. I knew yeah, there was a I, few, but I didn't realise. Yeah, I didn't either until I thought about it earlier when I saw somebody mention about Chiquinho and Hoover down the right. I looked at the team and I thought, in a minute, <laughs> he's getting players who know each other. Um, Pyro, Pyro is a stakey. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, really. I've, if he has done that on purpose, I think that is very, very clever. When you're having such a big rebuild, having all these players who know each other, or even if they know one person, it's it's going to help them settle so so much faster. Mm. I mean, Gabs, Gabs, is there any players there that you're surprised that we've been able to attract from your knowledge? 
Um, well, uh, I think a lot of the, um, the the signings you've had have been kind of towards the end of the window and from European markets. And I've not had as much time as I might have been if it was earlier in the summer to really do some do, uh, some digging on these players. But just kind of on a surface level, I would say that um, it seems like the the reports on Ryan May and. Um, uh, Andre Vidigal, uh, that they're extremely exciting. I, do you know, I remember watching Wesley play for um, for Aston Villa a few years ago, and this was in the Premier League. I didn't think he was overly mobile. I mean, I could see he had a um, a physical frame, but if you want, Ale- if Alex Nil wants to play this sort of pressing system, maybe I mean, maybe I mean that was a few years ago now, so maybe his game has changed a little bit. So uh, we'll have to see on that. I don't know if either of you have been able to get any intel on Wesley and what you're sort of expecting from him. I mean, I saw him against Everton uh, the other day, which, by the way, we did not deserve to lose to Everton. We should have beaten them. They looked shocking. Oh, really? um, yeah, they did not look good at all. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, for, for me, when I saw him, I kind of saw what you've just said there. And he, he wasn't on for very long, in fairness to the guy. Um, I don't even think he's had a proper training session, maybe one training session with us. Um, but I saw the same thing. Like He didn't go chasing after the ball. He was happy just mm-hmm. to to mope around a little bit up front, which isn't necessarily a bad thing because we're yeah. going to have the pace either side of him to do the legwork. If he's just no, having to be in the I, box I and finish, then fine. But like thought, you said, it's going against the grain a little bit. Yeah, I, that, that's the point that I would make there. I think if you want to play this aggressive pressing style with quick transitions under Alex Neal, I would say Jacob Ryan is the one you want starting there. Yeah, interestingly, and I think a lot of people are ruling Jacob Brown out, but Dan made a good point the other day that we need the likes of maybe Jacob Brown in these early days to uh, to embed people and carry us through while the rest of them get up to speed. So I think there's definitely an element of that. Um, and Jacob Brown can, again, can on his day be a good player. We're now in a scenario where we're going to have to get let some people go and the likes of Jacob and maybe Dwight Gale, who seems to have been a, the forgotten man, um, yeah. you know, they, they may go out... Um, as well, uh, I guess what I wanted to ask. I, I, wouldn't, I, I wouldn't. Sorry, sorry, I wouldn't let go of Jacob Bryan. I think in the no. right system with a clear identity, I think he might not be the one to score twenty goals, but he might be able to score ten goals and lead the press the way you want. And if that's what your identity is, then you've got to have someone who fits into that. For for me, anyway. Yeah, exactly. He again. You, the one thing you can say about Jacob, as much as he can fluff his lines sometimes. He's a, he's a Johnny Walters mock too. We've said that a few times on his pod. He will run into the ground, as will Daniel Johnson, from everything I've heard. He's and everything I've quicker seen. than, Danny, yeah, than uh, Johnny Walters as well. Um, Yeah, I mean, Johnny Walters was quick on his day, but yeah, okay. it, yeah, I'd, 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 I'd say so. Don't worry, he was, he was, no, uh, he was no steam train, but uh, yeah, he wasn't <laughs> as slow as people made out. Um, okay. So when I look at the kind of positions left for us to kind of fill, I mean, Tom's kind of stolen the landlet a little bit there, but uh, yeah. So McNally um, coming in from from Burnley as a centre back, that one should be done shortly. Uh, we've still been linked to Brighton's um, Andrew Moran, which I think plays more of like an attacking midfield type position. Because again, we've got Daniel Johnson who can play in that number ten type position, but not really a backup. Um, so that's another one there who again is another loan target. And then I'm not going to try and pronounce his name, but either of you are, are fine. It's the right back from Colchester. They didn't try and start me on that. Oh, Junior Chamadee. That's the one. Um, So, I mean, if we get those three positions kind of covered, surely we are done for this window. I can't see us standing anything else. Can you? 
Well, I like um, I like the idea of bringing in Chamadou. If you're only going to get Hoover on loan uh, for a year and you wouldn't expect to get him back, then it seems like quite a nice idea to have Chamadou, maybe give him five or ten games this season, um, start him in the cup competitions, and then hopefully once he's built up some experience at the level and Hoover goes back, you can maybe make the call in, in the summer as to whether Chamadou's in a place where he could maybe become the regular starter next season. So that seems like pretty good squad planning to me. Um, I do want to go back to the, um, if we can, the attacking mm. field. Uh, Eric, because there, there's one who uh, I saw on Twitter who said um, Ryan May might be able to play um, as as that sort of attacking midfield option as well, possibly. Yeah, because I think he likes to drop deep, doesn't he, Dan? If I remember rightly, is it? He's not a. Yeah. He's certainly not a Wesley. He, no, he doesn't like leading the line. He's like sort of drops into like pockets of space. You know, between sort of the midfield and the attack, you know, like a number 10 kind of position. Mm. But I suppose if you're playing the three in the midfield, like I say, you've got Josh Lorenz legs, Ben Pearson sort of, you know, buzzing around, then he could definitely be the Will Smallbone, I think. Um, as long as he's got, like I say, as long as he's got that drive and willingness to to, to put the effort in and move around, I suppose, to play in that position, same as Will did. Then, um, yeah, I definitely can see him there. I do think Moran as well. I think Moran although he's more of a playmaker and on the ball type, I think he likes to sit deeper. I don't think he's one to push forward. I think he likes to dictate from deep. So he would maybe be somebody who would sit alongside Pearson if you were to change formation to play, you know, four, two, three, one, or mm. maybe he would replace Pearson if, you know, these times are going to come, let's be honest, when Ben Pearson is suspended. <laughs> <laughs> well, we said, didn't we, Dan, last season, we got all year, no red cards, and we're like, we're going to be Stoke City of all and not going to have a red card. down every week, oh, <laughs> We were, it was a couple of weeks before the end, wasn't it? Like three or four and, weeks, maybe? And, oh, and he got it. sent off for two yellows, and his second yellow was in like the 98th minute, where he picked the ball up, Threw it at an opposition player who like bounced off him, so he picked up again and threw it at him again. And then, and then when the ref didn't book, he turned around, and gave the ref a mouthful, and then the ref was like, "Right, that's it. Second yellow, red. Off you go." It was like, a comment once. He, he was. He, was de- he definitely had something on the next Saturday. He was determined to get a red card that day. <laughs> I think he was determined to prove us wrong. I think that's what it was. I'm, I'm, I'm still a shit house. Don't you dare forget it. Um, I, 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 no, I, uh... like, that's why right. no team of mine goes a full season without a red card. <laughs> um. So, I mean, is there anything else you want to call out from the transfer-wise? Because I've got a number of things I want to just quickly run through as well. But before we start moving off transfers and coming back again, any three of you got anything else you want to add? Um, I've seen Josh Bowler has been linked today, interesting. Oh, he's gone to Cardiff now. Has he gone to Cardiff now? Yeah, he's gone to Cardiff, that's official. I was going to say, I would have... uh, I don't think you'd turn Josh Bowler down, would you, in this division? But yes, if he's gone... How are Cardiff under a transfer embargo managing to buy... Better players than than half the division, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yes, fair play to them if they've got him. He'll uh, he'll probably get more game time there than the you know the plethora of uh, options that we have in attack anyway. So he would have been just one into the pot that you wouldn't have. So yes, I think I think attacking wise, I'm quite happy how we are. Like I say, maybe somebody else to help Pearson out, whether that's alongside him or. Uh, to replace him when he's not there, and like I say, a new another centre back. I think we need one more, especially if Connor Taylor's leaving. 
I was really surprised he let go of uh, Connor Taylor because I thought, considering mm. how wafer thin the squad was at the start of preseason, I thought it'd be one where you'd you'd kind of work with him as a backup option. Um, but it seems like you you are committed to bringing in a lot of players and and then therefore offloading someone like Taylor. Well, yeah, I think he um, the thing with Taylor was he spent he he stayed around here last season because. Obviously, we didn't really have the backup. So mm. when Michael O'Neill sort of put him in the squad, uh, Michael O'Neill played him and it, he started off. And it was one of those where I think a lot of fans maybe looked through with rose tinted glasses at him. So they were like, oh, yeah, you know, isn't he playing great? And I sort of, I'll be honest, I, I, I might, might be able to back me up here, but I was like, I see a mistake in him literally every week. Yeah, like be something where you think, oh, that's and I think if it was if that was say Ben Wilmot who's been brought into the club, he's not a local lad, not a Stoke fan, people would have been picking up on it. But because he was a young lad and they, they were giving him a pass with him, and then I think uh, Alex Neil came in. Alex Neil, there was no sort of like rose tinted glasses or anything. I think Michael Neil was much more open to letting youngsters come into the club and make a team to make a mistake and happy to let them try and learn from them. Whereas Alex Neal was very much, I think, like, no, you need, when you play my team, when you're ready. So is did... that a bit of a concern for you, actually, just picking up on that, Dan? Because you, Stoke City's academy is in an incredibly strong place. I mean, we may come on to the likes of Emre Tezgel and Nathan Lothar coming through, and I think you've won a, uh, a tournament or competition with the under-18. So is it clearly in a strong place? Would you? Is that possibly a disadvantage of Alex Neil that he's maybe not so open to giving younger players the space to, to grow in, in that environment? Well, I think one thing we can say is that I think he's very much like Tony Pulis in that if they're good enough, you'll play them. Now, Tony Pulis always said that, but he never really found anyone good enough. Um, whereas I think with, at least in pre-season, we went to Notts County with Mike and, and Emery Tezgal led the line there. Um, you know, he, he started up front and he played the next game and it was only when he got injured that he take it, that obviously stopped, he stopped his pre-season. Um, last season, Emre Tesco, whether it was by, um, by, by uh, whether, whether he wanted to play him or whether he was forced to due to lack of other options, uh, Tesco was playing, like, you know, coming on as a sub just in the two or three games, picked up an injury, ended his season, um, and then Nathan Lowe, he was replaced by Nathan Lowe. Nathan Lowe came on, made a couple of sub appearances, and then unfortunately picked up an injury at the end of the season. And these were two 17 year old lads. He thought, okay, he hasn't, he hasn't tried to do like, as much as all of Tony Pulis. I think he would have maybe tried to find a midfielder or a winger that would have played up front, you know, rather than risk a, a kiddie in his eyes. Whereas Alex Neal was like, well, okay, yeah, actually, you two have got a bit of ability. You know, Newcastle, Newcastle United have been after Nathan Lowe. Uh, Emre Tesco, you know, we've, we've had numerous clubs all over Europe who have been trying to sign him before he committed to Stoke um, professionally. And, 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 and you know, he, he put them in and he was willing to give them a go. I think he is more, I think he will do it, but I think they have to prove to him that they deserve it. Another one's Sol Sadibi. He's 16 at the minute, and Alex Neal this week has been raving about him, saying how you know he's that. He goes at the end of the day, he's in, he's played in every friendly so far. Oh wow! Um, and what, where does he play, Dan? He's a centre midfielder. Um, <laughs> so, 
Yeah, and he just looks fantastic. He's obviously his mum is Sadibi's son. Um mm. and he's just you know, he said like, you know, it's not a nostalgia thing. It's not um we're not doing it because his dad is a hero here or or just doing it for show. He goes, he is here on merit. He's been training with us for six months or whatever. And he has been playing these games because he is the best option to, to, to come onto the pitch and play. So I think in that respect, if they prove themselves to him and they show they've got the right attitude and they're at the right level and the right physicality and everything else, he's not scared to put them in. The biggest compliment you can pay to Sadibi as well is that when he's come in, he's not looked out of place. Which for a sixteen-year-old, oh, wow. uh, you know, a, a boy against man, he's not looked out of place. Alongside Dan yeah. Pearson, I mean, that's. I say he's, he's in like he's an England youth international. I think he's played like the last couple of years for England's different youth teams and that as well. Um, right. As as Tascal and that as well. So. Hmm. Um, yeah, there's quite a few. We, I mean, we've got Tommy Simkin, goalkeeper. He's just gone out on loan. Um, Jack Griffiths, a youngster. He unfortunately picked up a knee injury that ruled him basically wiped out his last season. Um, then we've got Tezgal Lowe, Sadibi, uh, who's obviously signed. And all five of those had signed professional terms before the 17th birthday. And I say because this, there would have been vultures, Dan, for for those, wouldn't there? Yeah, and I was like, I, I, I mean, I've made quite a big point here. I said for this club, that's massive. We do we do not give pro deals out until they're like eighteen, nineteen. I think to get them at that stage means that you know the, the years are coming through. You know the, mm. the players that are coming through and we're developing now are you know far and above what we've maybe produced in the past and but, I, but I would say I, I would say because of that Dan uh, you know giving them a professional deal is great but I also think that you've really got to capitalize on this opportunity and give those players the chances they need to show what they can do because that that means that when other really top young players come through and are now 14 15 their agents or their parents are going to think well Sidibe and Tezgel and Lowe and Simpkin um, got their opportunities at Stoke City, so that's the reason that we're going to sign. You know, our lads going to sign professional deals for Stoke City because we think they'll get more opportunities at the Premier than they would at Chelsea or Manchester United. So um, I think that's that's going to be huge, personally. Yeah, couldn't couldn't agree, couldn't yeah. agree more. We. we... Is again, every club wants to be sustainable as well, and I know, you know we've we've got plenty of money FFP withstanding, but you know we've put a lot of money, millions into our academy to you know category one status. Like we we need to be pumping out these players, and you know we're we're starting to. So a long way to go yet, but you know we we, we very quickly. I'll touch on Harry Suter. Yes, we did bring him through the ranks with us, but we still brought him in very young and raw, and you know we've obviously developed here but give him a chance in the team and he's obviously gone on and been a you know a very expensive player um in the Premier League. So again that's another example of a path for our young players. So I think um Nathan Collins is worth one one worth shouting out as well. Yep, he's obviously absolutely had two, well is he three now? Three big moves, big money moves. Mm-hmm. I think I think the thing is the beauty of this as well is you look at say Collins, you look at Suter, you look at Tyrese Campbell, Joe Bursick, um Josh Tyman they were all players who we brought between that, like, say, 16 and 18 age range, or maybe like 15. I think basically it was 15 when we brought him. Whereas Nathan Lowe joined at 11, Emre Tezgale joined at 8, so Sol Sadibi joined at 8, uh, Jack Griffiths was with us at 9, 
um, yeah, doing all the Tommy Simkin, I think was nine. These are players who've done their entire footballing career with Stoke and are coming out and being coached into being fantastic players or fantastic young players that we hope to develop into fantastic professionals. But they've done it all here. Almost Stoke City fans, which obviously, as a kid growing up, if you can get them supporting the club they're, paying, they're playing for, then again, it's a nice little added bonus, isn't it? Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Picture the scene. All of your mates around, you've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Partner this with your team playing champagne football. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. There's nothing quite like a McDelivery. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Um, but yeah, I think that very much clearly shows there that, you know, the the, the opportunities are there. And um, I wanted just to, to, to move on a little bit. So we spoke very briefly earlier about, you know, the club structure and senior management and all the changes we've made. But I think a couple of noticeable changes that I wanted to get everyone's thoughts on. Um, I guess the obvious one is our change in style. So that kind of Dan alluded to, I won't go into any massive detail, but 4-3-3 obviously is the way that we are going to be setting up. I think what you can say about Alex Neal, and you alluded to this, Gabs, was it's going to be high pressure in your face. You know, it's always a good way of getting fans on side. If you are not the most talented, and we have got talented players, but if, if it's not working out, but you literally have everything on that pitch, Stoke fans more than most I've seen will never boo you off they'll appreciate every single bit of effort you put in um so i think that is one thing that alex will bring to this club and i hope the new structure will bring to this club is a bit of a bit of passion back a little bit of drive and effort and grit that sometimes you need um you know i think that's one thing i definitely would say is a noticeable change but one of the major changes um and i'm sure dan and tom have something to say about this the fact that obviously Lewis Baker um, came into the club, obviously, and settled in really well, had a fantastic, you know, half of a season to the captain's armband. And as soon as he got the captain's armband, Gabs, it was like he just wasn't the same player anymore. And some will argue, and I know down straight away is going to be thinking, well, that's because we didn't find the right position for him. And that is actually true. But, you know, I think with the biggest change we're going to see on that front is Josh Loren is probably going to be the captain. He's been captain all summer. Um, and whether that spells the end for Lewis Baker, I don't know. But um, I think that's a positive change from what I've seen. Would you probably agree with that, Tom? Yeah, I, I would agree with it. I think Josh Loren is is more... I don't know, he just seems more um, active on the pitch um, in terms of his communicating and you know speaking to the players. Um, I think Lewis Baker has dropped down the pecking order quite a bit. Um, I think part of that is due to him playing in a position that he wasn't the first time he came to the the first bit of spell at the club. I think the other part could be down to this injury that's apparently been niggling at him for a while. Um, 
there is a part of me that thinks he will be the captain, but Loren will be captain in his absence because I feel like if this injury has been niggling at him and Alex Neal knows that, he's going to think that he could come back at full pace. Um, and if you take the captain armband off him, it's it's going to you know damage his motivation a bit. Um, but I think it's going to go either. I think he could either go or he's going to come back better and continue to be the captain. I'm not really sure, to be honest. It'd be interesting to see what happens. I mean, Dan, you you probably make the same point that I think you've made a couple of times, no doubt, in 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 the sense that he was played completely out of position. I mean, do you think Lewis Baker's time is is up? No, not at all. I think I said to you, didn't I, that as I said last week on the pod that that he he, he took himself out of his favourite position. You know, last season as captain, he sort of sacrificed himself for the team because we didn't have that Ben Pearson player in the first half of the season. And I think he he was you know when it began the first seven or eight weeks, you know, he scored half a dozen goals. Let's not forget that. And then all of a sudden, he just sort of switched. And you know, he's had this knee injury now. He had this operation on his knee, which has been described as a long-standing issue. Now, if that knee's been playing him up since since September, October last year, then that, that, that's a full reason why his, his form's gone gone off for me. I think it's only fair, you know, as fans, I think we said last week, didn't we? You never know. You've never got all the pieces of the jigsaw. You never know fully what's going on as supporters unless you're inside the club. And I think it's only fair that you let him get himself fit, get himself back match fit, and playing in his favoured role before you judge him and write him off as some fans have done. Some fans have always, you know, he doesn't care, he, has, you know, he couldn't be bothered and all that. Obviously, if he's got one knee and he can't run around, <laughs> that would, you know, he is going to be a bit hampered, isn't he, in his mobility? Yeah, I would agree that saying that he doesn't care, I think, is complete rubbish, if I put it bluntly. Um, when he has played, you know, he scored the odd goal. You can see in his face when he's celebrating, he cares. Um, I think he looked frustrated sometimes when he scored. And I think part of that is down to the, the grief that he's getting given, which, you know, if this injury is what was hindering him, um, that could be where the frustration's coming from. But in terms of not caring, there's, there's no way he doesn't care for this club. No, I agree with you, and I, I mean, he, you know, he's uprooted his family and everything for this. He, he, I think, he wants the club that he can settle at, and um, yeah, I, I think, I think, as you said earlier, I think Josh Loren will be will be great as captain. Hopefully, it doesn't impact him in a negative way, but I think he's got a, a mental resolve, and I, I also think as well, probably too much gets made of captains in clubs. Um, mm. I mean, on the, I'd Actually, say especially on the pitch. So go on. Go. Yeah, Michael, if, if don't mind me jumping in on this because it's literally no, just no. this just today where I've come up with a perfect example. I was listening to Mark Kennedy, who's the Lincoln City manager, and what he was saying was that he actually, he, he put it in these terms, he said, he, he doesn't, I don't care who, who the captain is because you don't need an armband to lead. So it does kind of give you an impression that even if some managers might play a bit of politics and say, oh yes, I'm putting a lot of trust and a lot of faith in my captain to kind of smoothen some of the relationships, I actually think maybe some of the more honest managers are saying, Actually, the, the one captain that we have actually isn't hugely important who that is. It's whether we've got that core of leaders, which I kind of agree with, to be honest. 
Yeah, it, it, again, if, if you've only got one leader, that's a massive issue, <laughs> isn't it, really? Mm. You've got to have one leader in a, in a group of 25. Like, yeah. that, that, that calls into question people's mentality and commitment and everything so you it's spot exhausting, on. wouldn't it as well well <laughs> yeah imagine, 25. imagine if we would have had that when ricardo fuller and co were around you know imagine the fines he would have spent mm. most of his time handing fines out for being late and and christ yeah. as well because i know that they, they have to they have to manage that as well but um but yeah like i say a positive change i think which we're going to have through um now one thing dan did mention earlier on uh, you stole my thunder there dan so how dare you but uh i think we talked about um, the the club as a whole and you know the the feeling around the place, but um, just have interest. Did you actually see the pub visits and the the audio and, and stuff that came off the back of the the pub visits gap? I didn't actually see that. No. Um, have, have a look when you when you get chance. There was there was two or three that are going around there. If you look up the a, a, not podcast, sorry. If you look up a channel called Stoke Loud and Proud and go to their yeah. media tab, you'll see exactly what I mean around the um, around the audio. So basically, the the British players are at an absolute premium. We need a British core, but with foreign flair was basically mm. what he was saying to the. Uh, to the crowd in there, which is pretty much what we've kind of alluded to. And um, he's literally just standing there, mate, arm on, on a post, speaking to some of the Stoke fans that um, had approached him as well. Mm. Well, it gives you an impression, an insight into maybe what might have gone wrong from at Preston North End, as well as not having the investment. They didn't really have the vision as a club to um, sort of invest in, um, uh, in exotic or for- foreign talent beyond like pretty much what just you mentioned at the top of the show there, Michael, um, like English, uh, Scottish, Irish, um, you know, that's kind of where that the club recruited and uh, outside of that, he didn't really have any knowledge. And I think in the championship nowadays, you need to have more of that if you want continued progress. So I think it's great that Alex Neil has kind of learned from that and, and knows what's needed. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the main thing for us is, as I said, we haven't had somebody like this. We mentioned this guy on the podcast a lot, and I don't care if some fans don't like it. I, I, I love Tony Pulis, and I always will. Like He he made me believe in and love Stoke City again, so I don't really care. But the, the fact is, for me, we haven't had someone like like Alex is trying to do now in the pub, beating the fans since Tony Pulis. Before, you know, it's always been managers just... You know, they just, the first time you did, see him, did you, not, did you not get a bit of a charm offensive with Paul Lambert. <laughs> um, believe it or not, well, I mean, I don't know if you've been serious. No. Are you joking there, Gabs? To be no, honest, no, no, I, I, it, it sounds <laughs> it sound that he he actually did that a little bit at Ipswich, where he was like, he met loads of fans and kind of showed a massive sort of willingness to kind of engage on a diff, you know differently mm. to maybe how it had been previously. But maybe it sounds a bit a bit of a bit of a joke from from your experience. <laughs> I think I the problem think... with him, he was like the nineteenth choice of of manager after we got turned down several times. So he just was just probably happy to get a job, to be honest. At the time, yeah, um, I don't think he'd even dare to meet the Stoke fans at that point of our history, to be fair, because it was a <laughs> it was a bad time. Like I say, I think it's more than anything, the club appoint effort in the pub visits. There's a meet the manager and, and owners night tomorrow um, at the club. So this is. I think we we did one not long ago. There's another one now. There was the meet the signings event as well, uh, like last week. Did you do an open training session? 
Awesome. Yeah, exactly. Open training session last week. I mean, they're, they're, they're really putting the efforts in. The season ticket holders who have been season ticket holders for like 20 years, they've got, you know, individual letters inviting them to an exclusive event. Like, it's stuff like that. We, we haven't done this stuff for so, so long. And, you know, you've got to give Simon King, who's, you know, the COO, um, so he manages all the stuff off the pitch, anything non-football related. Like, there's ticket initiatives for kid for a quid. Like, they are listening. and. Yeah, yeah. You almost feel like, where's this been? Um, and you know, it's great. Stoke give free travel uh, away from home, but it's this stuff that we want to see. Who do you think it's come from, Michael? Do you think it's Simon King or? Yeah, I, I, I think so. I think obviously it's come from the top in terms of we need. It's probably the message that they've had to the top. We need to connect with fans more, and you know, we need to put bums on seats. We need to find ways of coming in. And when they change the structure to have someone who deals with on the pitch matters and somebody who deals with off the pitch matters and split those jobs instead of it just being a Tony Scholes does everything, you know, I think that has been the biggest change that they have made. And Simon King, honestly, is he's a really nice guy. He's coming with ideas. You can see the things he's implemented. He again, we've sat down with him at, at council meetings. He will take on board everything that you say he will again the, the kid for a quid was something that we banged on about in the sports council a number of times um you know generally it's something that he did pretty quickly when he came in like it's this this stuff isn't rocket science gab this is just yeah. connecting with your support your supporters that's all well, it is tell you what could, could I, i'd like i'd love to ask a question to mm. uh, to you three as well um obviously it feels like there's a lot that stoke city want to get out um of this season in terms of some of the intangibles which are the connection with supporters establishing a clear style of play getting back in touch with some maybe some core values that might have been lost a little bit over the last sort of te- uh, 10 years or so um but also I, I kind of wonder is there a sort of um a number that you'd sort of say um this is the the minimum that we expect in terms of in terms of results is it survival is it top half what, what what's the thing that you feel like yeah you know that's the minimum you can accept in terms of the bottom line well, funny enough, you actually it's a nice little segue into one one thing we were going to move on to, Gab. So um we we might as well do that now. I mean, I I tell you what, before I give you my actual number, I'm I'm gonna actually postpone my answer to that specifically. I'm gonna tell okay. you what I wanna see as as a team, um, okay. I guess, from a, 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 a way of dodging your question. Um, so okay. I, I just I've kind of probably alluded to it throughout this part in little segments, but I want a team that gets me back in that stadium enjoying my football. Now, that does not mean winning every single week. We're not in cloud cuckoo land. It's not going to happen. But like I said, running through a brick wall, players that will not stop, no prima donnas, no cupping of ears to the fans if you if they get on your back a little bit. I want to see the Stoke fans back in the stadium and shouting and supporting the team because like I said, I joked about it, but it does feel like a morgue at times. Like it's it's dead. And I feel as if there's been a, such a big disconnect between owner or club and fan for far, far too long. Um, probably we, we came down that first season. Everyone was positive, thinking we're going to go back up. Since that point, and we didn't go back up, that t- that club, or this club, has been split. So I want to see that come back together. That's what I want from this season. If that materialises with progression on the pitch, great. Tom, I don't know if you've got anything you want to add to that, or Dan? No, I'd, I'd say the exact same thing. I don't, I'm not really 
fuss about position. I don't. I think of the fans on Twitter are joking around about you know we're going to get the playoffs, we're going to do this. That's just down to the excitement. I think um, realistically, we know it's it's likely it's not going to happen. Um, but yeah, just a team that fights gets us excited. Um, you know, I think one thing I would point out that I think really needs to improve this season is home form. I think we touched on it earlier. Home form last season was absolutely dreadful. I've never seen anything like it, especially for Stoke. Stoke and known, you know, it's Fortress Britannia. It's teams used to be scared of coming here. And then last season, we just got wiped. Everybody wiped the floor with us. And the away fans were laughing at how bad the atmosphere was and how empty the stadium was. Um, but yeah, I think home form needs to improve and yeah fans start getting back into that spirit teams weren't afraid to come here and play anymore were they no, i think they look forward to it in all honesty because they knew if they sat back the fans would get rattled the fans would start booing and then they'd sneak a little goal and that's it it's game over and dan anything you want to touch on from what uh, Gab's question at all? Uh, no, to be honest, I think you've, you've probably summed up quite well between the two of you. Um, we just want one smiles on people's faces and looking forward to going to the match, don't we? And like you say, feeling that togetherness and a bit of atmosphere as well. I mean, it's, I've been trying to get my sort of like I say, my daughters involved and, and, and loving it. And it's it's a lot it's a lot easier when there's like you know a positive atmosphere around the ground than it sounds dead and flat. <laughs> Let me tell yeah. you. Yeah, it, it really is. You all the kids a quid ticket all you want. Um, you know, £23 season tickets, fantastic. But if, if they if they sit there and they're bored stiff, then, then they're not going to want to go again, are they? Yeah, I was, I was literally just about to add, I've actually heard kids ask their parents to go home because they're bored. Like, <laughs> this should not be happening. Not when you're a kid and you're watching your favourite team play live. Yeah, they'd rather just have the phone out or the devices. Yeah, I've, exactly. I've seen it to the ground. They've got they're there with devices in their hands while during football, and it's such such a shame because that literally just means whatever they're seeing, they're not engaged in. And my boy uh, Gab, he's, he's he's eleven, he's twelve in a couple of months, and this is his oh, yeah. first season ticket coming up. Like I want, and he's in that phase where I think he's coming for me. I think he is enjoying the bits of it. Like, he, he does get it, but I think he's coming for me. And this is the time now where if we don't have a good season, he doesn't enjoy it. He won't be back next season. and He might never be back. So this well, is the what, time. What I would say to that thing, Michael, is um, I'm a Birmingham City fan and it Oof. took me until I was about 11 to actually properly enjoy going to the game. So I used to go to the occasional game, but I don't think at the time I had the attention span to really appreciate it. And then by some coincidence, I went along to some sort of random testimonial game and I did fall in love with it and things kind of escalated from there. But I reckon for a lot of kids, it might be the case for, for your lad, um, Michael, that actually he's um, kind of taken, uh, just taken a while to kind of get into it a bit. And, and you know, sometimes it doesn't come straight away. Quite possibly. And I did ask him four times during the closing, are you sure you want to go? I was trying to talk him out of it. Are you sure you want to go? Um, and That's responsible parenting, Michael. It, it, it is, it is. But in fairness to the lad, he, he said yes four times, so I had to do it. Okay. Um, anyway, I mean, we're, we've kept you a while. I do want to do this last section because I think this is really going to be quite fun. Um, but before I get into the, the gritty, I've said earlier, I had a bone to pick with you. Now, I think you've actually so- softened my... Uh, the 
<laughs> best be careful I word this. <laughs> I was going to say soften the bow, but that's probably not the right phrase to use. Um, <laughs> um, I didn't realise it was that sort of shame, Michael. <laughs> yeah, that, that's not that type of show, but I'm not cutting it out either. Uh, so, <laughs> I, I mean, obviously, just to backtrack a little bit, and I did comment on it at the time, and I'm going to cut out, but I think you've, you've, as I said, you've alluded to my fears. So you did have us down on Bet Victor's summary that you wrote as 19th place. Now yeah. I remember, and I'll be honest. With you, I, I'm an honest guy, Gab. I went to Dan and I, and, I, and the private chat, and I said, "What the heck is Gab's got us down for 19th for? What what's he thinking?" Um, and I think, however, and I, I'm putting words in your mouth here to try and uh, rescue you with old Stoke fans, but I think you just said that was pre seeing these signings, and you wouldn't have us down as 19th. Now is that is I'm that a fair? Sure. If, if you if you if you ask me now, uh, <laughs> but do you know what? I, I also feel though, Mike, that the championship has got um has got stronger as well, and I I feel like um I've got a lot of faith in Plymouth Argyle, who are the smallest of the three clubs coming up, and I also feel like yeah yeah outside the three teams I've picked for relegation, I find it hard to pick sort of teams towards the bottom of the bottom half. So as well. So that's kind of part of why um, I, I had Stoke 19th. Maybe if you're asking me now, it might be a few places higher, but I still am um, reassured by what you, Dan and Tom, have said in terms of kind of accept kind of wanting more of the intangibles from this season in terms of wanting to enjoy the games again and feel close to the club as opposed to neither of you feel like you've got a particularly strong number on what you what you absolutely demand from this season which i think is quite a good approach to go into it and i hope that it's shared from with the majority of the fan base yeah i, th- I think everyone would take entertainment over anything else but funny enough actually this does take us very nicely on to the very final bit um uh, of, of kind of the pods so now Last season, me and Dan were actually quite way off. We predicted uh, play, you know, basically the, the division 1 to 24 on where people were going to go. Now, I'm not going to go through 1 to 24 because we have not got all night. Um, I'll cover off the main ones now, the, the kind of promotion places. Uh, so we had, me and Dan both had Burnley to get to win the league. So we got oh, one well, guys, at least. Um, we've got Sheffield United to go up next. Um, so that went up. We had Norwich in third. West Brom in fourth. That was a bit of a joke. Um, and, uh, well, yeah, I had Adam in third, Dan Adam in second, actually. Sorry, correction. So Dan Adam in finishing second and then uh, me third. So I don't know what we were thinking. Stoke, we had sixth. That shows how far we were going, seventeenth <laughs> and sixth. But, yeah, that's pretty, pretty bad. I mean, Tom, you haven't you haven't seen these before, but um, pretty bad. We had, me and Dan both had Luton in tenth. Um, so we'll obviously. I think I had them them about there, actually. Okay, okay. Well, thank you, thank you for your your rescuers. Um, (laughs) We had Rotherham finishing bottom. Uh, Sorry, I had Rotherham finishing bottom. Dan had Rotherham finishing twenty first. Oh, I had twenty first as well. I had them saying so. I'm gonna take take the win for that one. Dan will be writing for Bet Victor next. Uh, Birmingham (laughs) City, he had to go down in twenty fourth place. By the way, so we'll call that one out. Um, We he actually had Wigan surviving. Um, and they Sunderland without points deductions. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, I suppose so. And then I got one last one, I think, actually. So Sunderland, Dan had him down for thirteenth. I had them down for seventeenth. <laughs> so that shows off. <laughs> so there's a few ones we were close, but we had Stoke to finish sixth um, overall. Uh, so yeah, not really that close. Um, now we're not going to do one to twenty-four on this, but uh, Tom. 
basically put some questions together for us. Uh, you're welcome to join in here um, if you like, Gab. We didn't accommodate sure. for it, mate, but I'd love to get your thoughts, actually, now you're here yeah, with yeah, us. Okay. So, um, Tom, over to you. We do not know, by the way, just to set the scene, we do not know what the other person has chosen. We've intentionally not told each other. So, um, Tom, I'll let you uh, lead from here on in. So championship to start with, and then we're going to go to uh, Stoke afterwards. Yeah, we'll do the championship quickfire. Um, right, so we'll start Dan, Mike, Gab, then myself. Uh, first one, who will go up as champions? So for uh, me, I'll go first. So Southampton are going to go up as champions. Leicester for me. Yeah, Leicester for me as well. Um, second question who will finish second Leicester Southampton um, uh, Sunderland I've got <laughs> yeah I'm good Southampton yeah. too okay so we're not that far <laughs> off uh, third one who will reach and win the playoffs all four oh. clubs uh, no just no. Who, who will win who will be the who third team to go up um, no, I can't say in all three places. I'm gonna say Middlesbrough. Oh damn, I've I've got Middlesbrough as well. <laughs> well, I'm Middlesbrough are my third place team, but what I will say to vary it out a little bit is I think Hull are going to be dark horses, and uh, I think Liam Delap's going to score thirty goals and fire them to promotion <laughs> by the players. <laughs> if Liam Delap has thirty shots, I'm just, sure I was surprised. Just, just to annoy you, yeah. <laughs> um, I'm going to go Coventry. Interesting. Uh, fourth, so leading on from what Gab said, which team are dark horses, Dan? Uh, Birmingham. Oh, thank you very much. And Mike? You know, I was tempted with Birmingham because I really like the business they've done, um, but I'm going to go Stoke as the dark horses. <sighs> uh, for me, um, Hull I've already mentioned. I also think Swansea have made an excellent appointment in Michael Duff. Um, I've, yeah, I, so I'm going to say Swansea as well. Uh, I've gone Birmingham as well. I think they've had some really oh, good right. signings. I'm very surprised. I'm really flattered, to be honest. <laughs> uh, next one. Who will finish lower than expected? So who will be the underwhelmer? Leeds. Uh, Leeds? Okay, interesting. I've got... It depends if you think these still think these will finish higher, but it's Watford, West Brom and Blackburn for me. I think them three are going to struggle. So take your pick out of them, whoever you think will... Um, we'll go with West Brom. I think West Brom, they're going to be the ones who really lower than expectation. I agree. West Brom are, are in for a tough um, season because of the structural issues of the club. But for me, I, I think Southampton might underwhelm. I'm going, to throw a, <clears throat> I'm going to throw a spanner in the works. I'm going to say Sunderland. Ooh. I thought you were going to say Stoke then. <laughs> <laughs> Would never do that. <laughs> um, next one. Who will finish bottom? Rotherham. Um, I've got Rotherham, Huddersfield, QPR going down. It could literally be any of them three. They all got a good shout for whilst they'll be the worst in the league. Um, I'm going to go with um, Rotherham. Yeah. Rotherham are my pick as well. I'm going to say QPR. 
Um, so, leaning off what Dan said, who will be the other two teams to go down? This was tricky for me. Um, <laughs> I actually think Plymouth. I think they'll bounce back down. I've got, I don't know. I just got. I don't. I, I don't want to say Plymouth because. I think there's a close one, and I would have gone actually potentially Blackburn, but um, I'm not going to include Blackburn. I'm only going to go Blackburn because they're really struggling to sign any players. They're in they're in a bad way. So I'm going to commit to Sheffield Wednesday and Plymouth. Um, it might go now. Um, I would say along with Rotherham, Huddersfield Town, and Sheffield Wednesday. Yeah, I've had QPR finish bottom, and then I think um, was it Rotherham and. Huddersfield. Mm, good shout on Huddersfield, I think. Yeah. yeah. Tricky one. I think there's a few at the Cardiff, although, like I say, they've done a couple of decent signings, haven't they? And, and um, I thought Ramsey may have been there just to sort of paper over the cracks and that. But yeah, like I said, the uh, bowler signing, if they can get them to link up well, that might be enough for them. Sheffield Wednesday, I think they might struggle. Um, yeah, there's there's a few options, but yeah, you've got the same three as me, Tom. And the final one, who will finish as the top scorer? Jamie Vardy. Uh, uh, Ian and Joe. I'm going to go Jamie Vardy with, with Mike. I have actually gone for Ahi and Nacho as well. Oh, hi, TT. <laughs> Lesser yep. players all the way. <laughs> I feel like we've uh, bigs less up that much that they're going to finish fourth now or something. Hmm. Um, yep, that's it for the championship ones. Okay. Um, I think we're all along the right lines. I don't think there was any major shocks there. I think my having Plymouth to go down might be a bit of a shock, but um, <laughs> I think everyone else is relatively sensible, should we say. Cool, Tom, yeah. let's move on to Stoke Specific. Yeah. So... I have eight questions regarding Stoke season. Um, so first of all, where will we finish? Ninth. I'm going to go crazy optimistic and say fifth. <laughs> don't know why. Don't know why. Wow. You've got to do. You, you've got to. You've got to just be optimistic this time of year, haven't you? Sixteenth. Uh, oh, that horrid sixteenth spot. You just can't escape it. <laughs> um, I'm gonna go seventh. Okay, have to you can tell who's got the red and white glasses on again, can't you? <laughs> <laughs> I'm enjoying uh, this season. Just, just let me enjoy it before it all goes wrong. Yeah, at least give us a couple of weeks, Gab. <laughs> <laughs> uh, second question: Who will be our player of the season? Okay, so this is bloody difficult because none of them we've seen. I am going to go with Vidigal because he's going to have... I've even got some stats behind it. He's going to have 15 goal-scoring contributions, so a mixture of goals and assists. Oh, wow. Um, I've just gone with the tried and dusted, uh, Tyrese Campbell. Oh, you cheat. Big season for Ty. Um, 12 months left on his contract. He might be looking, he's going to impress if he wants a big move if, um, or if he wants to get Stoke up to the Premier League with him or show progression. So, yeah, I think he's he's going to be uh, fully on it this year. He looks sharp in pre-season now, doesn't he? So, yeah, better players around him as well. Big one. Ben Pearson for me. 
Yeah, I've actually gone for Ben Pearson as well. I was going to go for Chiquinho, but I feel like he's going to get called back in January. I've got a horrible feeling, so I'm going to go Pearson. That's the same as me. I thought that as well. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, feel, I feel like the Wolves fans have hyped him up that much. I feel, I feel like if he's on good form by Jan, they're going to, they're going to snatch him back. Because I think they're going to struggle this year, aren't they? Yeah. Um, third question, who will be our top goal scorer? Tyrese Campbell, 15 goals. Ryan May. Jacob Bryan. I have gone Tyrese Campbell as well. Uh, fourth question is, who will have the most assists? And that's a bit of a funny one. It's an obvious one from the ones I've mentioned here. Vidigal. Tyrese Campbell. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Ryan May. Yeah, I've gone for May as well. If he can play that number 10 role. Um, now this one is very difficult <laughs> who will have the most cards <laughs> the, is anyone going to say anybody but <laughs> Brett Ben Pearson like... yeah I think it's uh... I'm in for Pearson <laughs> yeah I, I'm, I'm Pearson as well yeah Pearson I think you'll have more red cards than the next person has cards in total to be honest <laughs> um, sixth question who will be the most surprising player? Johnson. Mm. Um, I've gone for Rose. I think he's come not much spotlight on him, uh, but I think especially, you know, if there's an injury to McNally or, or Will Mott and he comes in, I think he's going to be a solid, solid choice as defender and uh, surprise people. Nathan Lowe, I'll go with. Oh. So, uh, that's a That's good interesting shout. one. Are you, are you think he's going to break his way through to uh, the first team? Well, surprised. I, I suppose um, I've spoken to uh, speaking to Ben Rowley. It sounds like Nathan Lowe, although Emery Tezjel is possibly the more gifted of the two, Nathan Lowe maybe has a better chance of breaking into the first team squad at seventeen because he's got more of the physical attributes. He's um, been listening to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably. So that's why I'm, I'm going with Nathan Lowe. I think he might come off the bench a few times and maybe make an impact. So that would be my choice. Very interesting choice. I like it. Um, I was going to go with Danny Rose, eh, Michael, Michael Rose, didn't say Danny Rose then, Michael Rose, um, but I'm going to put my foot in it here, I'm going to say Wesley. I feel like he's been very underwhelmed by opposition fans and I, I can just see him being a decent player in this league. Okay. Uh, next one, young player of the season. And I can see us choosing the same person here as well, to be honest. Well, yeah, mm, this could go along. It's going to be Ben Wilmot again for me. He still classes as young. What's the age criteria going to be, Tom? Uh, say 23 and under. 23 and under, okay, let me. Yeah, I'm going Chiquinho. Chiquinho. Yeah, I'll, I'll, second, I'll, I'll second Giacchino. I'll, I'll go with Dan. And I have gone Ben Wilmot as well. I think after winning player of the season last year, I think with a better defence and goalkeeper around him, I think he is really going to shine this season. I think he's very underrated. 
he's got such a range of passing. It's yeah. scary how good his passing is, and people do not appreciate it. Like you saw against Everton and the other friendlies, like the crossfield balls. People said no, Suter was good at that, but I think Suter's been taking a, a leaf out of Ben Wilmot's book. Um, I genuinely do rate him that highly. So, yeah, Wilmot's a good shout. Yeah, I feel like he's a top worker, Bob. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I feel like I know we got played in the season, but I think he did get a lot of stick just for the fact that the team leaked so many goals. Um, but one man can't do five men's job. So I think this season with decent players around him, yeah, I think he's going to shine. Um, and the last one, which kind of ties into this, I'd imagine who will be the best defender. So. I mean, I tried to go different because obviously I don't. I could easily go for Wilmot again, but I'm going to say Henry because I think he'll be a good defender, but I think he'll also contribute with goals and assists. So I'm going to go for Henry. I've put Wilmot, and I think he'll carry you know, carry on where he left off last season and just you know controlling that defence and and just being the standout person. It'd be interesting having somebody like McNally alongside him. Um, he sort of had to carry Jagielka on a physical level last year, didn't he? Um, towards the end. And then obviously if he was playing with Fox, he really had to marshal Fox, you know, who's the left back, sort of coming into the centre half position. Um Aidan Flint was another one, didn't have the physical you know, wasn't couldn't physically be mobile and move around. He was switched once he right side of the three, left side of the three, in the middle, in a two, and back into a three. I think it's structure now, get a centre-back partnership. Him and McNally, I think the pair of them will be brilliant, but I think Wilmot will just keep getting better and better and better. Yeah, I think Hoover's going to have a big season. I'm going to go with him. Yeah, I, uh, I'm i going to change from Wilmot with the previous one and go Henry as well. Um, I think six months he was here last year. Not even that, I don't think. And he was... He, brought so much to the team. I think this season when he's got Chiquinho as well in front of him, who he knows very well, I think he is going to be lethal down that man side in terms of attacking play as well as his defence. Oh, you copycat. Anyone would think you, uh, you're on a different podcast, mate. <laughs> um, uh, okay. Well, again, interesting. There's, there's a few that I think we've, we all could have gone for there, but I think it's also great that we have a completely unknown team and we're all crystal ball gazing a little bit. And um, the the graphic will be coming out. We're not going to put it out before this is released for obvious reasons. We don't want to spoil it and people not bother listening to this part of the podcast. So that one will go out. Uh, please leave us a comment on the Twitter post or Facebook posts. Do, do you think we're close to any? Do you think we're way off? Uh, we definitely want to hear your predictions. So uh, make sure you let us know. Um, and just before we say our, our goodbyes, I, I just want to, you know, Again, just to reiterate, we've had a very busy week. We've had a podcast release every single day this week so far. Um, now, uh, obviously, tomorrow we have... Don't I know it. <laughs> yes, you do. You've been very, very busy, Daniel. Very well done for that. And thanks to everyone from various podcasts who have been involved in that. Um, but, yeah, so tomorrow we have the uh, release of your... Well, back again uh, for the third season, as of course is the Rotherham uh, preview for for the weekend's game. It's finally back, and I can't wait for it. Um, but I guess it just leaves me to to kind of say, Luke. 
Gabs, you've been amazing. Thank you very much for joining us. It's been great to get your insight. No, no, th- 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 no. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Um, just uh, would quite like to add a, a little footnote to say um, I, I'm available. You can follow me on Twitter at Gab Sutton for daily EFL conversations where you can chip in uh, with uh, with insight on on your team, and uh, we have lots of uh, fun engagements and debates there. I also have a show called EFL Debate where um, I interview one or two people within the game, but I also have a regular uh, championship podcast. We cover all three leagues, but championship is on uh, Wednesdays at uh, 5.30, so you can check that out uh, then um, So for all the latest championship chats. So you can follow me on Twitter at GabSutton and follow the hashtag EFLDebate. Perfect. Thank you. And if you want to also forward any complaints about his 19th place prediction for it, um, <laughs> you know exactly where to go. So um, I guess that's a great place to finish. So thanks again, uh, Tom, Dan, as always, absolute legends. Thank you very much, boys. Um, and uh, yeah, let's look ahead to Rotherham and kicking off the season with a positive three points. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.